Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants Inn Chambers. In our podcast series, we are going to discuss a range of topics affecting police officers and anyone involved in the criminal justice system. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com. Police officers deal with people who have behaved in a drunken, disorderly fashion on a daily basis. Cheryl Pyle was one of those, arrested after kicking off in the back of a taxi, having thrown up all over herself. The police were called and a vomit-soaked Ms Pyle was arrested. At the police station, she swung out to officers who, perhaps kindly rather than prosecutor, offered her a £60 penalty, which she accepted for any Police officers listening to this, they will, of course, have dealt with very similar situations on many, many occasions. And generally, those who have occasionally had a couple too many would just chalk this up to experience and move on, but not Ms. Pyle. I'm Daniel Burke from 3D Solicitors, and here to discuss the case of Cheryl Pyle and the Chief Constable of Merseyside Police is DJ Bazu, uh, QC from Sergeants in Chambers. DJ, what happened in the taxi and on arrest, and how was Ms. Pyle dealt with at the police station? Well, Daniel, Miss Pyle got into a taxi in the evening on the 22nd, 22nd of April 2017, drunk, in advanced state of intoxication. And the taxi driver called 999, reporting that she had started to abuse him and she was kicking off. She'd vomited all over herself and she'd also vomited over the back of the taxi. So the police officers who attended found her covered in vomit, including in her hair. She was arrested for being drunk and disorderly. While at the police station, she was flailing her arms uh, with the intention of striking police officers who were with her. And later on, she was put into a CCTV monitored cell because she'd injured herself. She'd fallen over and banged her head and she'd required some medical treatment for that. Her clothes were changed by four female police officers who replaced her vomit-soaked outer clothing and with a, a nice, clean, dry outfit to wear. And she, for their trouble, uh, sued them for damages for assault and for a violation of her human rights. And that, that was her claim in the county court, and she didn't have any success there. Well, she claimed for, uh, for those two things. Also in the county court, she sued for damages in respect of the injury when she hit her head in the police cell, which led her being, to being put in the monitored CCTV cell. But having lost on that particular point about the head injury, she perhaps wisely chose not to appeal that part of the judgment against her. No, but she, she appealed the other parts and not satisfied with the outcome. And Mr Justice Turner in the High Court, he identified a very important issue of constitutional law, which has never been determined by the High Court before, and one that will no doubt be taught in law schools for generations to come. Do you want to set out what Mr Justice Turner said this issue was? Well, I should say that listeners to this podcast can't see your smiling face as you said that, but obviously you're being ironic. And the judge was, some might think, a little less than impressed by this appeal. And so his opening words were these. He said, Cheryl Pyle brings this appeal to establish the liberty of inebriated English subjects to be allowed to lie undisturbed overnight in their own vomit-soaked clothing. And so she, so he was unimpressed with her claim, and he 
was criticised in some quarters by commentators on social media for describing a vulnerable claimant in this sort of way. But it, it doesn't, I should stress, it doesn't appear that Ms. Parr was vulnerable other than having consumed excessive alcohol. So, you know, it doesn't matter whether she's male or female, no doubt a, a male claimant who'd been treated in this way would cause the same concern amongst those commentators, but she wasn't vulnerable through any personal factors or any mental health problems or anything like that, I should, I should stress. This isn't that sort of case. No, she was in the custody of a police station where they were clearly attuned to the needs that she had at that time or what they perceived the needs to be, certainly. Indeed. And, and as I say, they, they were sued for their trouble. And, and he, at paragraph three of his judgment, made made this comment. It's not part of his reasoning, but uh, you might think this is a, a strong comment. Some members of the public may well have found it to be in a, to have been a grotesque result if a woman who has rendered herself insensible through drink abused an innocent taxi driver, behaved aggressively to police for, police officers trying to do their job and vomited all over herself, should then be found to be entitled to compensation because those same officers, as an act of decency, had then changed her into clean and dry clothing at a time when she was too drunk to know or care. So when you, when you read that far in the judgment, you can tell which way it's going and it's not going that well for the claim for the event. In this judgment, there's a number of phrases which uh, certainly you and I will understand as judge speak. And when he says some members of the public may well think, he pretty much means every right thinking person without exception, really. Well, certainly every reasonable judge would find it wholly grotesque for a person to succeed in these sort of cases. And he was making it quite clear what his attitude to the claim was. But of course, in his reasoning, he then sets out why he took such a strong view. The first way it was put in terms of assault was that um, the police officers should apparently have monitored her until such time as she could safely remove her own clothes. And uh, the judge described that complaint as risible. When you look up the the dictionary definition of risible, uh, it means provoking laughter through being ludicrous. Uh, and obviously the definition of ludicrous uh, is so foolish, unreasonable or out of place uh, as to be amusing. Uh, so uh, if you as an advocate make an argument that a judge describes as risible, it's time to think of a completely new argument. Yes, quickly, and, and then go and sit in a, a corner. There were points of constitutional principle at stake here, and one of the arguments on appeal was that the Claimant relied on Section 54, 6C of of PACE, Police and Criminal Evidence Acts, which states that a constable can only seize clothing and personal effects in the circumstances uh, specified in subsection 4 above as a prohibition on removing vomit soap clothing at all. The conditions in subsection 4 are that the custody officer believes the detainee may use clothes and personal effects to cause physical injury to himself or another, damage property or interfere with evidence or or, or assist in escape, which is, of course, why uh, in police stations, belts and shoelaces are always taken, um, bloodstained clothing may be taken as evidence. But Ms. Powell's case was that the conditions don't include vomit-soaked clothing and therefore their removal with clean vomit-free clothing was an assault. How did the judge address that? Uh, well, he, he called that a, a brave proposition. <laughs> um, uh, and again, that's not a comp- compliment. It's like, it's like Sir Humphreys in uh, Yes Minister. 
exactly. If a judge says that something you've just argued is brave, he doesn't mean it's a good thing. It's uh, not a compliment. It's a, it's a bad thing. Perhaps another word is risible uh, or ludicrous. Uh, and what he said in terms of Section 54.6c is it's there to circumscribe the powers of seizure of clothing uh, in a search of a detainee other than by a custody officer on their arrival at a police station, having been arrested elsewhere. So it doesn't give rise to a freestanding right not to have clothes removed. And he, he paid careful regard to paragraph 8.5 of Code C of the Police and Criminal Evidence Act uh, codes of practice, which are obviously admissible in evidence, which say if it is necessary to remove a detainee's clothes for the purposes of investigation, comma, for hygiene, comma, health reasons or cleaning, uh, removal shall be conducted with proper regard to the dignity, sensitivity and vulnerability of the detainee and replacement clothing of a, sim- of a reasonable standard of comfort and cleanliness shall be provided. So that's powerful support for the proposition that the police are entitled to remove clothing of detainees for hygiene or health reason or for cleaning. Uh, indeed, it may be argued in a different case that if the police did leave somebody like Mrs. Pyle in vomit-soaked or worse uh, clothing, uh, they might be liable for a breach of their Article 8 rights, perhaps, or, or, um, or for negligence, for instance, if the person uh, suffered some sort of injury or harm as a result of it. Possibly Article 3 in terms of uh, inhuman or degrading treatment, possibly. That's true as well. If they, if they, if despite request or the need for it, they left the person in those circumstances, that's quite right. Uh, now, Mrs. Powell, she didn't stop there. She argued that her Article 8 rights for respect to her private life had been violated uh, for two reasons. One, because of the monitoring that she was subjected to. What was the premise of that part of the claim? Well, the, the monitoring was, as many listeners may know, some police cells, not all of them, are monitored by CCTV, which covers most of the cell, apart, in, in fact, apart from the the toilet. So there's a sort of blank bit of the, of, the, of the monitoring, so you can't see the into the toilet of the cell. Those are used for people who are vulnerable, uh, who may self-harm, who may cause harm to themselves in a different way. Miss Parr was put into a CCTV monitored cell, and she complained that a male inspector had viewed the CCTV, he looked at that, I think, in fact, he'd looked at the hatch of the cell, in fact, as well, was to check on her well-being, and he'd seen her in her underwear, uh, and that's because he hadn't realised that she'd been undressed by the female officers, they'd had to, they'd have to leave temporarily with her clothing in a bag, because she continued to struggle, so that was inadvertent. She'd required monitoring because of her behaviour, and because she was intoxicated, in fact, that had been justified by the circumstances, but while being monitored in her herself, she'd lost her balance. She banged her head and she'd been injured. And because she was being monitored, the police officers had been able to see that happen. They'd immediately rendered assistance and taken her to hospital for treatment. In fact, as I say, she'd um, sued them for negligence because of that injury and she lost comprehensively, hadn't sought to uh, appeal on that. So it was clearly important to monitor her in that cell. So that part of the claim failed. But there was another part of the claim that she argued in relation to her Article 8 rights, and that was the number of female police officers who were deployed to uh, remove her clothing and change her clothing for her. Yeah, well, they relied on, um, again, Pace Code C, which is always admissible uh, in, in the insofar as it's relevant to any issue in civil proceedings, etc. And Annex 
A11C of, of code C refers to strip searches. And it says, uh, except in cases of urgency, where there's a risk of serious harm to the detainee or to others, whenever a strip search involves exposure of intimate body parts, there must be at least two people present other than the detainee. But it goes on to say the presence of more than two people other than an appropriate adult, which doesn't apply here, shall be permitted only in the most exceptional circumstances. So, as you can imagine, Miss Powell said, well, there were four officers here, not two. And the judge dealt with that fairly briefly, saying that four officers are justified rather than two by the fact that the claimant had been struggling. So if there'd been fewer officers present, it may have been harder to control the, the claimant. And therefore, there may have been injuries either to the officers themselves or indeed to the claimant. And it sounds like a, a, another bold argument. Bold, or some would even say brave, risible or ludicrous. So, I mean, the, um, you have to admire her tenacity, at least, I suppose. But officers, at least, have got a lot less to fear when they're dealing with their Friday night intake. Well, they do, as a result of this sort of claim, clearly this sort of claim will not succeed. They do need to take care for people who are vulnerable through their own overindulgence in alcohol. And in fact, they did in this case the right thing. They monitored her in the cells that when she fell, they could sort her out. If they hadn't done so, they might have been liable. They changed her clothing. And if they hadn't done so, they might have been liable. So the police officers in this case is exactly the right thing. And to treat people in this sort of condition with a modicum of decency, kindness, human engagement and sensitivity will generally be the right thing to do. So the officers appear to have followed their instincts in this case, and they're absolutely right to do so. And police officers dealing with people in this sort of state shouldn't be deterred from showing the level of human kindness that was shown in this case. No, and therefore there is not necessarily a liberty to lie undisturbed overnight in your own vomit soaked clothing in a police cell. There isn't. <laughs> Dijen, thank you very much. Hopefully uh, officers won't have to deal with too many of those, but it's more likely that they will. So I'm sure they'll be very reassured by your comments. And thank you very much. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for downloading the Plod podcast, Police Law On Demand, brought to you by 3D solicitors and barristers from Sergeants in Chambers. For more updates on police law, follow the Sergeants in Police Law blog at ukpolicelawblog.com. If you have any suggestions for any topics that you would like us to cover, please email plod at 3d-solicitors.com.